You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. It's great to see all of you here this afternoon. We're glad that you could join us for worship. My name is Eric Bonkowski. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And something that's true about me and has been true throughout my whole life is that I, I have this tendency to start and then stop various habits. A classic example is guitar. Right in college, like every other Christian guy, I had the idea that I was going to learn guitar, and I started that, and then I stopped. And I've repeated that cycle a few times throughout my life. I still can't play guitar. It's true in my spiritual life, too, that there are various disciplines or habits that I've started and kind of run hot with for a while, but then they dissipated. And one of the examples that came to mind is around prayer. I had these ambitions to um, pray and develop these new ways of praying and I would start and I would flame out after a few days or after a week or sometimes after a month. And my guess is that you can identify with that. Certainly in some area of your life and most likely in the area of prayer as well. Uh, We're going to be starting a new sermon series here at City Church that's going to run the next month, through the month of October, and it's called A Praying Church, and it's to talk about this idea of prayer, and my hope is that together as a community, we can think about ways to cultivate the habit of prayer in our lives. So I was thinking about it this week, one of the things that has helped me in prayer, in that habit, is other people. Watching other people pray, learning from them, being encouraged by the way they think about prayer and the way that they practice prayer. So this week I thought about people like my dad, who from a young age I saw praying, and he formed me in that way. And I thought about a man named Dan Napke, who was a campus minister at the college I went to, and he taught me about prayer. And I think about Jamie Mock, who I've been praying with for uh, almost 20 years. And I think about a man named Paul Miller, who's written several books on prayer that have been helpful for me. How about for you? Who are those models of prayer? Who are the people that have helped cultivate that habit in your life? You know, I have this little book. It's by um, a man named E.M. Bounds. And this is a book in Inside on the first page, the name at the top is Dan Napke. He gave me this book. And I was reading. I barely knew Dan Napke. I knew him for a year. And yet I still have this book on my bookshelf. And this week as I was thinking about this sermon, I thought of him. And how much it meant that he cultivated the habit of prayer in my life. It says this in this book. At one point, he says... Talking to men for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is greater still. That stuck with me because here I am now, 25 years later, 30 years later, and what do I do for a living? I talk to men for God. But am 
am I, with the same energy, with the same fervor, am I talking to God for men? Right? These simple lessons of prayer that I've learned. And, and so it begs this question, who are your models for prayer? Who at City Church would you turn to to learn about prayer? And I fear that we don't have great models. We don't know who those people are. We're not going to solve all of that in a month-long sermon series, but I hope that at least we're starting the conversation. And I hope that together as a community, we're changed over the next month, especially as it relates to our habit of prayer. The way we're going to do that is by looking at the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to look at it from uh, Luke's Gospel. It's in both Luke and Matthew, but we're going to look at it in Luke's Gospel. And so today, I just want to read the beginning of this prayer, or the, um, the, the whole prayer, the first four verses of Luke 11. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there, where these words are also printed in the worship guide, and you can follow along. But let's give this our attention, because this is God's word for us. It says this, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we learn from Scripture that your word is inspired by you and that it's profitable for teaching, for correcting, for reproof, and for training in all righteousness. We ask today that your word would train us in the righteous habit of prayer. And we pray that you would do this for our good and for the greater glory of your name. Amen. Here's what I want to talk about as we begin this series of a praying church. I want to talk about three things from these four verses I read. I want to talk about the fact that a praying church is a learning church. A praying church is a relational church. And a praying church is a changing church. Those are the three topics that we'll work through. So first, a praying church is a learning church. What do I mean by that? Well, look at the very first verse here. Jesus' disciples come to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. They ask that Jesus would teach them to pray, which means that it's something that can be taught. It means that prayer is something that can be learned if we have that desire. It, it flows out of the fact that Jesus himself was praying. The disciples had been with him for long enough that they saw this was an established habit of his life. They looked at his life and they said, we want to learn how to do that. Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? It's primarily, it's largely taught by seeing, by seeing other people do it. Last Sunday after church, I was standing outside on the, on the portico and my friend Andy Crawford had little jars filled with sourdough starter. He was handing them out to people, probably who had asked them. I didn't go into the details. But these were people who want to learn how to bake sourdough bread. And he was handing out this starter so that they could begin to bake. What are the, what's the equivalent with prayer? What's the sourdough starter of prayer? 
Are we handing that out within our community? Are we saying, I want to launch you into a lifetime of prayer. Here, take this little jar. We need that. We need that to establish this pattern, this habit of prayer. And then notice how Jesus responds, right? They say, Jesus teaches how to do it. And the very first thing he says in verse 2, he says, when you pray, he assumes that they'll do it. He assumes that they can do it and that they will do it. It's natural and it's feasible. They can pray. That's where it starts. This learned activity is also something that's hardwired into us. And I think that's important because as we think about prayer, here's the thing, we all are praying to something. It's just a lot of the times those prayers aren't directed towards God. They're not modeled after the prayer that Jesus gives us. But throughout our lives, whether it's through complaining, whether it's through worry, whether it's through a list of things that we have to get done, it's our form of prayer. We will pray. How are we doing it? Here's the other thing that I want to say on this topic of learning to pray is uh, I think a great defeater for us is we, uh, we, we think right away, well, I'm not doing it right. And I want to say up front, and I hope we'll repeat this throughout this series, when you start to pray, when you start to learn to pray, it all counts. Every effort you make, it counts. If it's short, if it's long, if your eyes are closed, if your eyes are open, if it's alone, if it's with other people, it counts as prayer. Harrison made the point as we started our worship service today that when we gather to worship and a lot of the songs we sing, they are prayers that we are singing together to God. That counts. You're learning to pray when you come here to worship. So be a person. Be someone who is learning to pray. Say to Jesus, teach me to pray. So specifically, how is it learned? Let me say just a word or two on this. I've already alluded to the the first point. I think that primarily prayer is learned through others. For the disciples, it was learned through Jesus. For me, I listed some of the men uh, who have influenced me in prayer. It is learned by watching others, seeing them, praying with them. Who are those people for you? Who have been those people? Who could be those people for you? We need models when we're learning anything, whether it's guitar or prayer. I'll never forget this story when I was in seminary, and uh, there was a professor at the seminary. His name is Sinclair Ferguson. Some of you may have heard of him. He's this great theologian. He's written dozens of books, and he's from Scotland, so he's got this amazing Scottish accent. And he was renowned at seminary for uh, beginning his classes and ending his classes with these prayers. And they were beautiful prayers, right? Biblically inflected and theologically informed. And, and people would kind of just go to his class to listen to him pray. He's leading this lunch seminar um, one time when I'm in seminary. And we're, we're, we all have like our bag lunches and we're about to eat. And the, this, this poor seminary student who's hosting this, put this event together, he, he goes to um, Dr. Ferguson and he says, um, would you please please pray for our lunch because we just love to hear you pray. Without missing a beat, Sinclair says in his Scottish accent, he says, I'm sure the good Lord in heaven would love to hear you pray too. And I was like, sick burn, Sinclair. But his point is great, right? That sometimes we hold up these, these models for prayer, but we can pray too. 
We must pray with them. We, we don't just listen to other people pray, but we pray alongside them. And as we do that, we learn prayer. We're discipled in prayer. Which kind of leads into the second point, right? We learn prayer through others, but we also learn prayer through practice. It's how we learn pretty much everything, isn't it? We learn prayer through practice. You know, prayer, as I said a second ago, it's, it's normal, it's natural, it's hardwired into us. And yet there are lots of things in life that are natural and normal for us to do, but we have to learn them. Walking would be an example, right? Nursing, new moms, it's this natural, normal thing, and yet it's this learned activity. So it is with prayer. God expects us to do it. He knows that we can do it, and yet he wants us to practice it to learn how to do it. And so my encouragement to all of us over the next month and beyond is that we practice prayer and do it in different ways because it all counts. There's what's called common prayer, which is when we're gathered together corporately and we say the same words. That's prayer. It counts. Do that. You'll learn prayer through that. And do it individually. Pray on your own for 30 seconds or for a minute or for 10 minutes a day. You know, one of the great things is when you compare Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer to Matthew's version, it's slightly different in a few places. And specifically, in Matthew's version, as Jesus is introducing this prayer, he says, pray like this. And so what that shows us is that Jesus is giving us handrails. He's giving us a model. It's not that we have to repeat these exact words just as they're written in Luke every time for it to count as prayer. He's saying, let me give you a framework, and then you're free to individually pray it the way you want to. We learn through others, and we learn through practice. And so there's some great resources out there to teach you how to pray, right? There's this, um, there's this little book of Puritan prayers called The Valley of Vision that I've recommended to a bunch of people through the years. It gives language sometimes when you don't have language. Another popular one that some of you have probably heard of is called Every Moment Holy. It goes through the normal events of life and it has written out prayers that will help you think about them, help you understand them. A prayer for the first day of school, a prayer for a difficult relationship at work, a prayer when your marriage feels like it's breaking, a prayer for the single in the hurting, right? It's great to have other people's words and it's great for you to pray too, right? Remember Sinclair and his sick burn. A good Lord in heaven doesn't just want to hear you pray other people's words. He wants to hear your words as well. All right, so a praying church is a learning church. Second, a praying church is a relating or a relational church. And I'm taking this from the, the very first word of this prayer that Jesus is te- teaches in verse 2. He says, Father. Or we know it a little more familiarly as our Father. It's how the Lord's Prayer begins. What does that mean? Well, it it connotes, it suggests relationship. It's saying when you pray to God, you are praying to your Father. You see, it's not about routine. Prayer isn't a recipe. It's a relationship. It's drawing you close to the very heart of God. And so it's, it's so wonderful that we're starting this series on the Lord's Prayer right after we finish Luke 15. 
In the parable of the prodigal sons, as Harrison has already talked about, what do we see there? We see the heart of the Father. That's the Father that we're praying to when we pray. We say, our Father. The Father that comes after every lost sheep, every lost child. The Greek word, you've probably heard it said before, is Abba. It's this word of intimacy. It's an endearing term. It's a close term. And some people will say that this very first word in the Lord's Prayer is the greatest gift of the whole prayer. Our Father. You pray to your Father. You're not praying to a drill sergeant in the sky. You aren't praying to a vending machine. You aren't praying to a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You're praying to your Heavenly Father who delights in you. He loves you. He cares for you. And that relationship of child to father gives you an identity that provides the security that you need to move forward into prayer and to move forward into the world. So remember this first word that prayer always is flowing out of this inescapable, intimate relationship that God has with you. And think too that this word father, right, we say it so many times, we hear it so many times in church context and spiritual context, it kind of becomes rote or it becomes generic, it loses its meaning. But this is a word that Jesus gives to us. Jesus, the only begotten son of the father. As he's teaching his disciples, he says, you use this word too. Jesus, the true Son of God, the one who truly himself had every right to refer to God as Father. He says, when you pray, use that word as well. You know, Jesus' very first recorded word in uh, the Gospel of Luke, um, he's about 12 years old and they can't find him and he's at the temple and he says, of course I would be in my Father's house. When Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before his betrayal, an eventual crucifixion, he begins his prayer and he says, Father, if there's any other way, let that happen, but not my will, but your will be done. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, uttering his last breath, do you know how he begins his prayer? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. It was the word that started Jesus' prayers. And he gives you this great gift. He says, when you start your prayers, say, Father, our Father. What this word means as well is that we can come to God like children. And we need this. We who are learning prayer, we who are immature in prayer, who want to develop this practice, we need to know that we can come as children. Because children, how do they come to their parents? They come dependent and vulnerable, and messy, and persistently. That's a lesson for us as we go to God in prayer. One of the most helpful images that I've heard about prayer, and that I've remembered across however many years, I don't even know where I first heard this, but it was, uh, you know, sometimes we feel guilty. We're like, I'm trying to pray, and I got up early to pray, and then I fell asleep. And, and yet the image that this prayer is telling us is that's okay. Because when you're praying to your father, it's as if you're in your, your daddy's lap. And what dad has ever begrudged a child that has fallen asleep in his lap? If you fail in prayer, you are failing in the arms of a father who loves you and delights in you. 
Because a praying church is a relational church. Children to their heavenly Father who loves them. All right. A praying church is a learning church. A praying church is a relational church. And lastly, a praying church is a changing church. What do I mean by that? Well, I think that's what verse 2 leads us to understand. Because after this great word, Father, after this invitation into an intimate relationship with the Father, the prayer says, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And what I want you to see is that both of those phrases, both of those phrases are an invitation to change. And so when we pray, we are inviting change in us, in others, and in the world. And actually, if you think about that, I think it becomes one of the reasons we don't pray. It becomes a defeater to prayer. Because change is scary. Whether it's change in us, or change in others, or even change in the world. What do I mean by that? Let me explain this a little bit. The Lord's Prayer is helping us to envision what change could look like. First, hallowed. Now, hallowed is like, that's a super religious word, right? No one uses that word outside of church. It's not some sort of spiritual voodoo, right? Hallowed just means to make holy. So it's asking it's this petition that says god make your name holy in name in the ancient near east it wasn't just a title it represented the full identity of who god is and so it's basically saying god let your identity the sum of all that you are let it be holy now this doesn't mean that his identity isn't holy and somehow our prayers are making him holy right god is perfectly holy eternally What this prayer is doing is it's saying, change me so that my view and understanding of who you are lines up with reality. Help me to see and appreciate you as the holy God you are. It's as though prayer is this telescope that brings into focus who God really is. That's what we're asking in this first petition. Make your name holy in my sight. So when we read scripture, when we sing these songs at church, what are we doing? We're saying, God, change us to think and believe about you as you really are. That changes it a little bit, doesn't it? All right. What about the next phrase? It's also about change. Your kingdom come. Here we are calling down God's kingdom, and and God's kingdom means his presence in his rule, or his presence in his reign. We are saying, let your reign, your power, your influence come down. That's an invitation for change, isn't it? Because here's the thing, every day you and I are building a kingdom. The question is just, whose kingdom are we building? And most days, for me, it's my kingdom. And I would guess for you, most days, it's your kingdom. And so there's something in this prayer that begins with this intense relational moment. There's something earth-shattering and idol-shattering about the next petitions. It says, your kingdom come. You're in charge. Your will be done, not mine. A praying church is a changing church. 
A church that says every day when we pray, we want our eyes to be open to who you really are. We want our eyes to, to be open to the kingdom that you're bringing. We want our hands and feet to be doing the work of your kingdom, not ours. That's a scary prayer to pray. It's one of the reasons we don't pray it very often. We're afraid of that change. We're scared to pay the price of what it might mean in our lives, in our hearts, for that prayer to come through. One of my fears with preaching on prayer is that you would walk out of this room this afternoon saying, man, I really ought to pray more. How, how do I talk about prayer? How do I preach a sermon about prayer that doesn't make you think I ought to do this, but that makes your heart burn and say, I want to do this? How do I cause you to delight in prayer? How do I cause you to feel desperate enough to pray? Because that's the other thing I want you to understand about prayer. I have taught for years about prayer as a spiritual discipline. I think discipline's the wrong word. Prayer is simply giving voice to our desperation. You don't need to be disciplined enough to pray. You and I need to be desperate enough to pray. To crawl into the lap of our Heavenly Father and to say, teach me. Change me. And use me to change others and to change the world. What would it look like over the next month over the next year, over the next decade, for City Church to be a praying church? It's a hard question to answer. It's a hard question to ask, but I'm going to give three three things. The first, and it's something I've talked about before, we have a Wednesday morning prayer time. I said back earlier this year, I said um, my goal was to have 10 people at that prayer time by September, and we've made that goal just barely. We were praying uh, a couple weeks ago at that meeting, and someone else at that meeting um, really chastened me through his prayers because he prayed and he said, I want this room to be full. I want 25 people from City Church to be here on Wednesday morning. And I said, yeah, I do too. I want, I want kids to be at that meeting. I want uh, uh, men and women and mothers and fathers to be at that meeting, praying, desperate enough to pray together. So if you've never been invited to the Wednesday morning prayer meeting, consider this your invitation. We meet uh, the second and fourth Wednesdays of the month, 6.30 to 7.30, and we pray. You can come. You don't have to say a word. You don't have to know how to pray. Come and learn how to pray with us as we struggle together. That's the first thing, and that one's kind of measurable and specific, right? It has to do with this specific prayer time we have. The others are a little bit harder. They're going to be harder to track. But my vision for us being a praying church is that we have such a culture of prayer at this church. It would just be natural, be regular, it would be intimate, it would overflow out of us. I don't exactly know how to to track that or how to measure that. If you have an idea, let me know. But here's a simple way, I think. 
And you'll have to self-report on this. But the next time that you find yourself about to say, I'll pray for you, do it right then and right there. Right? We say that all the time. It's this, Christian, it's this Christian punctuation we use. Someone shares something hard and we say, oh, I'll pray for you. Pray for them right then. It could be on the phone. It could be in person. It could be uh, as you're greeting someone after church and they tell you about their week and you say, man, I, that thought goes through your head. I, I'll pray for you. Pray for them right then. That shows that we have this culture of prayer together, corporately. Here's the last thing. Last thing over the next month that I would like all of us to do, everyone who's part of City Church, I want you to do this. Try a new form of prayer. We're going to talk about different ways that you can pray. We're trying to learn. We're trying to develop this habit. Try something new. If you listen to Good Morning City Church, you actually heard some examples this past week. Val uh, gave an example of a candle prayer, which was kind of a new idea to me, but it's these, these simple phrases from the Psalms or from the Scripture that she repeats throughout her day that give her hope. Cast all your cares onto Jesus because He cares for you. That counts. It all counts. It's a prayer. We have a, a Sunday formation class going on right now about praying through the Psalms. This week, this month, learn what it means to pray through the Psalms and use that in your prayer. Pick up one of these books and use that as a guide for your prayer. I want every person just to try something new. Not guaranteeing that it's going to stick. Not even guaranteeing that it is going to change your life. But it is a sign of you being faithful. It is a sign of you, like the disciples, going to Jesus and saying, teach us to pray. And the great thing about this, of course, is that the Lord's Prayer is a corporate prayer. It's a common prayer. There isn't a single, singular pronoun in it. It's our, it's we, it's the church praying as the praying church. Let's conclude the sermon today by together praying the Lord's Prayer. Would you please join me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the glory, and the glory forever. Amen.